Well, good morning, everybody. You guys hear me okay? This is the the epitome of the back row Baptists playing out in real time right here in front of my very eyes. But I can't tell you how encouraged I am by the amount of folks here this morning. So, uh, man, God is good. I was wrestling this morning. Do I pray the rain away because I know that we need it? Or do we just pray that people show up regardless? And uh, maybe a little mixture of both. Uh, If it does stop raining and you're like, I want to get out of this little uncovering, there's some rags there. You're welcome to wipe your tables off and come out. If not, man, just uh, just sit there and enjoy the natural covering that we have. So uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Trace. I'm one of the pastors here. Super glad that you're here with us at Pillar Oceanside this morning. We've been going through, what have we been going through, church? John, the Gospel of John, absolutely. And so if you've got a Bible, you've got a Bible app, you've got some source of the Word of God near you, grab it and flip over with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. The story picks up right where we left off last week. If you remember, the Pharisees were denying the miraculous work of Jesus. Jesus had healed the the man blind from birth. And not only did they deny what Jesus had done, but they kicked the man out of the synagogue. Now, these things are important because all of those preceding events are going to play a role in what Jesus is about to say to his people. And so uh, this is a very significant section of the scripture that we're looking at. One of those reasons is because in these few short verses, we're going to get two I am statements from Jesus. Now, If you've been with us a little bit, I'd like you to answer the following question. In the whole of the gospel, according to John, how many I am statements are there in total? There's seven I am statements, and we get two in these 21 verses that we're going to look at this morning. That that should stand out to us as, hold on, something's going on here. Not only that, but if you've got uh, some sort of red letter edition of the word in front of you, you'll see that almost the entire passage is Jesus speaking. So just keep those things in mind. So what is Jesus doing here? Well, he's using, a, a once again, a very familiar and simple parallel to something that his audience would have a very clear understanding of. And you got to love that about the way Jesus teaches. At least I do. I'm a simple guy. I sometimes need things handed to me on a platter in order for me to understand it. And Jesus does not disappoint. That's exactly what he's doing. So what are we talking about this morning? Sheep. Sheep, shepherds, sheepfold. If you were here back with us in December, we, we had a little whole deal about sheep and shepherds. You can go back and listen to that if you're at all interested. I found a job listing for a shepherd in, uh, I think it was Montana, and read some of the qualifications there. But listen, I, I believe that the reason that Jesus uses this illustration is because there are a lot of similarities between us and them. And what I mean by us and them is sheep and their shepherds and Jesus and his followers. And it helps us better understand who Jesus is and what he does for us. That's what we gain from this illustration. And so he kind of opens up talking in general about the inner workings of sheep and flocks and shepherds. And last time I surveyed the group, there wasn't any um, shepherds um, vocationally in the audience. That probably hasn't changed 
So I'll assume that you don't have an intimate working knowledge of how all this works. Let me just give you a, a, just a brief illustration, summary, kind of description of what Jesus is laying out for us. I know I haven't read any text yet, but I hope that it's going to make sense. When I start to read it, everything's going to click. You're going to go, okay, I get it. So the sheepfold, what is this thing? Well, quite simply, it's an enclosure made up of large rocks, usually in a circle or in some sort of oval shape, and it's got one opening only. And that is where the gate is, where the sheep and the shepherds enter in and out from. Make sense so far? Okay, good. So these sheepfolds were generally used to bed down their sheep for the night. There would often be uh, sheepfolds all around the town. Shepherds would bring their sheep in there and they would sleep for the evening. Then there was a person known as the gatekeeper or a porter, and they would sit at the gate all through the night to make sure that the only folks coming in and out were sheep and shepherds. And at night, does anybody know what these people would do at night to add protection at the gate? They would sleep laying across the gate. <laughs> Literally, somebody would have to walk over them in order to get into the sheepfold. Then, in the morning, each of the shepherds would approach the fold, and they'd begin singing and calling out to their sheep. And guess what their sheep did? They came right to him. Why? Because they knew his voice, and they would only go to that voice. There is a, a deep intimacy that exists in the relationship between sheep and shepherds, a closeness that really does set the stage for us to understand Jesus as the great and good shepherd. Now, having said all that, just sort of setting us up, I'm going to pray. We're going to read the first section and we're going to get started. So would you pray with me? Father, we come to you right now, grateful for the gathering of your people. Lord, my heart is overflowing with joy at those that would brave the weather, come out, be with the people of God, sit under the teaching of God, praise you from whom all blessings flow, God. You are worthy of all that we have. And I pray that this morning now that you'd set aside all the many distractions that could keep us from hearing from your word, Lord, give us focus God, help us to be ready, to be transformed by the renewal of our mind, that we may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect, all these things that we gain from the word, truth, hope, and life. I pray that you'd speak through me, Lord God, with clarity, and you'd speak only truth through what I have to say this morning. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, church, if you um, have any questions about what you hear this morning, text those into the number that is in your digital bulletin. Text that number, your question, and we'll come up here at the end of service and we'll answer those questions or we'll do our best anyway to get those going for you. So hopefully you're still in John chapter 10, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 to get us rolling. You ready? All right. Truly, truly, I say to you. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. But he has brought them, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, and they do not know the voice of strangers. Okay, 
So hopefully now you'll see why I gave you a little bit of a background. So having read that, you can be like, okay, now I see what you're talking about, Jesus. We've got these people, however, that are entering the sheepfold by means other than through the gate. How are these folks coming into the sheepfold? I just read it. If I could make the cricket sound, I would make the cricket sound. Look at verse 1. So these folks are hopping the rocks. They're just coming in other ways, right? What kind of people are they? Thieves and robbers. Got it. Okay. But, Jesus says, the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him and the sheep hear his voice and they go to him. Sounds familiar, right? That's what we've been talking about so far. But look at verse 4. As they go out from the fold, how are they being shepherded? From which vantage point is the shepherd moving, right? Where is his relation to the flock? What's that? He's, he's before them. He's in front of them. He's leading them out. Is he driving them out? No, he goes before them. Now, listen, that's an important thing to keep in mind. That idea of leading from the front is important. Jesus reminds us that the sheep is going to follow the shepherd's voice. But they don't follow the stranger, do they? In fact, what do they do when they hear the stranger's voice? They flee. They run the other way. I'm glad that you've caught on that I'm going to be answering, asking questions. So thanks for answering them. I appreciate your participation. So I think that all makes sense from a natural point, right? Nothing difficult to understand, really. However, his audience is having a bit of a trouble, aren't they? Take a look at verse 6 now. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. Okay? Remember who, who, is, who is his audience? I told you that we picked up right where the story left off. So I heard somebody say Pharisees. That's exactly right. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. And if you don't believe me, you can look down to verse 19. Just verify what I'm saying to you, that it is, in fact, the religious leaders. Everybody see verse 19? Yep, so I'm telling the truth, right? Got to do that every now and then. Just make sure I'm staying on track. So Jesus begins again. Notice the words in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them. It seems that he's about to repeat himself. But really what Jesus is about to do, he's going to expand on what he just said. He wants to make absolute sure that these people know what it is that he's saying. So let me read the next section. If you follow with me now, John chapter 10, starting in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, 
because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Okay, so Jesus, again, using that same illustration, but now he's transitioning from a literal sheep-shepherd scenario to a spiritual parallel. Verses 7 through 10, Jesus refers to himself as the door of the sheep. Now think about a real-life sheepfold. There was a flock that belonged to a specific shepherd in the fold, and they got in there by going through the gate, right? As allowed by the gatekeeper. And they were considered part of that flock and allowed in the fold because they passed through the door. That's the only reason they could get in there is because they went through the door. Now Jesus is saying that what? He is the door of the sheep. What do you think that means? Yeah, right. And and we don't have to guess, right? He tells us, look down at verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be what? Saved. Saved. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. Now listen, this has serious overtones, if you will, from a later verse in John 14, 6. Does anybody just offhand know John 14, 6? There it is. If you didn't hear it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Through me. Through me. Jesus is the means by which people enter into a relationship with God. You see the parallel he's making now? You see, a person enters into the flock of God through Jesus Christ. In other words, in order to become saved and have eternal life, you must receive Jesus as your personal Savior. That's part of what he means when he says, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Now, how that actually happens, the passage further down, we'll we'll, we'll get to that. But if you notice, that verse is sandwiched between two references of thieves and robbers. Jesus said that all all that came before him are thieves and robbers. And they only come to do three things. They come to skid. Steal, kill, and destroy. I told you I'm a simple person. I need acronyms. I need things. The enemy skids. He steals, kills, and destroys. Now listen. Who are the ones attempting to shepherd the people of God at this point in history? In Jesus' time, who's trying to shepherd the people of God? The Pharisees, the religious leaders. So do you see what Jesus is saying about those people? In just a few words... He indicted the entire group of religious leaders as thieves and robbers bent on destroying the flock of God. Now, that may seem a bit extreme, (laughs) but in reality, it's actually based on some Old Testament writings. Now, we're going to go way back. Again, if you got your Bible, flip over now to Ezekiel, if you can find that. Ezekiel 34. I'm sure most of you were just recently reading through Ezekiel 34, so let's just be a, a quick reminder of what it says, right? Or not. I'll give you a second to get there. So Ezekiel is a prophet of the Lord, right? The Lord would give Ezekiel literal words to speak to his people and to others. So we're going to read some literal words from God spoken to leaders through the prophet Ezekiel. Look at verse 
34, Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Here we go. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones. But you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. Sounds a little bit familiar. Now, go with me down, same chapter, to verse 15. The Lord's response. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So these religious leaders of Jesus' day were not unlike those that Ezekiel was prophesying to, right? They had their own interest in mind. I, I know we haven't talked a lot about the Pharisees, but when, when they considered what Jesus had done and who he claimed to be, they only thought about themselves, right? Well, I'm going to lose my position. I'm going to lose my authority. I'm going to lose everything that is important to me. So their number one goal was self-preservation. Isn't that sounding a lot like what Ezekiel was saying to those people? You clothe yourselves in the wool. You eat the best. You do all these things. It's all about you. What a thing for Jesus to say to these religious leaders who are already on the verge of killing him. And then verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Now we see the contrast between Jesus and all the other people who have ever attempted to lead the people of God improperly and with ulterior motives. And he starts out with a doozy, right? The good shepherd lays down his life. For the sheep. Well, that, that, that disqualifies everyone. Every one of those religious leaders. None of them were willing to be uncomfortable, let alone lay down their life for anyone. Then we've got this reference to a hired hand. The one who is happy to do his job if things are normal and calm. This is either a contrast to the good shepherd or it's another indictment of the religious leaders who are not willing to stay and fight for their flocks. So they perform their duties just fine as long as the conditions are acceptable. But when trouble comes, when the thieves and the robbers come to harm the sheep, they're gone. They have no real vested interest in the sheep. They're merely there to collect a paycheck. Or receive some sort of tangible benefit. Now, this may actually describe some religious leaders even today. But the point is this. A true shepherd stands in the gap to protect his flock. If you ever find yourself in a place and under the care of someone who is unwilling to lead you through difficult and turbulent times, you are likely in the wrong place and under the wrong leadership. That's what this verse tells me. That's what these things tell me. Now, before we continue in the passage, I want to read just a quote from a commentary I read this week. 
because I think it draws everything together so far and, and pivots us to the rest of the chapter. Uh, this is from the New American Commentary. The image of the shepherd is an extremely important biblical picture of a leader because it implies not only an intensely personal relationship between God's people and their leaders, but a style or model of leadership exemplified by Jesus. The very word leadership is developed from shepherd imagery, where the shepherd goes before the flock and encounters the problems of the flock first. The shepherd does not issue commands in a pyramid fashion down to the subordinates who carry out his wishes like a general or admiral who stays back out of range of the conflict. Nor is a shepherd a whip-carrying organizer who drives the sheep into the pen or to particular pasture. But the shepherd knows the setting, leads the sheep, and they follow him. Sometimes leaders today are like the strangers of this text, whose voices are unknown to the sheep, and they wonder why there are problems in their organizations. Now, I'm not personally condemning any pastor or leader. I'm just highlighting what Jesus is saying himself. This kind of leadership matters to Jesus, and it should matter to us too. He continues in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So I love this mirroring of the intimacy within the Trinity, the Father and the Son, this incredible love that they have for one another. Jesus is saying, is the same kind of intimacy love that I have with my followers. As Christians, this is a reality for us. Isn't that what he says? The same love that the Father has for the Son that intimacy, that closeness, that oneness is the same love and intimacy that Jesus has with those that are his. That's a beautiful picture, my friends. I love that. Now, this is the second time of three that Jesus mentions laying down his life. Remember back in verse 11, he said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Kind of leaves it at that. Now in verse 14, he says, I lay down my life for my sheep. He says it again, sorry. Then in verse 17, he says, I lay my, da- my life down that I may pick it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. And I have the authority to take it up again. Anytime we see things repeated in the Bible, especially in threes, we need to pay close attention. That's a point of emphasis. Jesus laid down his life for the world that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have what? Eternal life, everlasting life. We read that back in John chapter 3. But Jesus lays down his life in order that he may take it up again. His sacrificial death, listen to me now, his sacrificial death is not an end in itself with the resurrection, just sort of this add-on after the fact. He died in order to rise and see the culmination of his Father's plan, which was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and new life that others may live. Praise God for the good shepherd who loves us, saves us, leads us, keeps us, protects us as the good shepherd. Now, I don't want to skip over verse verse 16 because some of you may be asking, what does that mean? I have other sheep not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there's one flock, one shepherd. What is Jesus talking about here? So his audience at this point are Jews. So he must be referring to Judaism in general as the the flock that's in the fold at this point. And Jesus is first calling people out of there into his own flock. So, So later now, if there are other sheep not of this fold, who is he referencing, do you think? 
everyone else, the Gentiles, the non-Jews. He's laying a foundation for the work to come. First by Peter and Paul and the other disciples and later for all believers that Jesus died for the world, not just the Jews. And his desire is to unite all of them into one flock with one shepherd, Jesus Christ. Now, as I said, these are some very significant statements from Jesus, and and they're they're setting sort of the launching point for Christianity to the world. So what is the response of the Jews? They just got to, at this point, they got to be like, okay, Jesus, we get it. You you are exactly who it is. So let's, let's just read their response in these final verses, 19 through 21 of John chapter 10. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So what's their response? More division, more doubt. Some accuse him of demonic oppression, and they're not going to have anything to do with him whatsoever. And others make an important observation. Like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) These aren't the words of somebody that's oppressed by a demon. He, He can't open the eyes of a blind person which, of course, is a reference to what Jesus just did in chapter 9, healing the blind man, which also caused division among the religious leaders. So, so clearly, the religious leaders who've now been called out by Jesus again are growing increasingly intolerant of him. They're about to explode. They are beyond their tipping point. In fact, we're closing in on the first half of John. Even though we're only in chapter 10, if you remember all the way back to the beginning, we gave you kind of a brief outline. Chapter 12, we turn a corner. And from 12 to the end of the the book is the last week of Jesus' life. So we we spanned three years of ministry in 10 chapters, and now we're going to spend the next 10 or so chapters, well, 10, 20, whatever, 8 on the last week of Jesus's life. So things are going to slow down in terms of time. I just want to keep you aware of that as you're following the bigger picture. So having walked through the passage, hearing what Jesus has to say, observing the religious leader's response, my question to you as we wrap up this morning is, what is your response? What is your response to this text? How do you respond knowing that Jesus is the good shepherd of your life? knowing that there are those who want to come into our flock to steal, kill, and destroy. Understanding that as members of Jesus' flock, we should hear his voice, respond, and follow him and him only. We should be growing, my friends, in our confidence of who Jesus is as the Good Shepherd. And who we are as his sheep. I told you, it's a very, very fitting illustration. And we need to be empowered by the fact that he leads us. He loves us. He tends to our needs and protects us as we're on mission to reflect these very same truths to the world. So my question as we wrap up this morning is, what do you do about this text? How do you respond to Jesus as the good shepherd in your life? Spirit of God is moving. He wants you to respond to the text. Obedience is the key in all of this. So what are you going to do with this? You braved the weather. You're sitting here shivering. It wasn't just so you could show up and check a box. If it was, then you're wrong. 
you got to move out of this place into somewhere else, having been moved by the word to change something about your life. Maybe you don't believe that Jesus is the good shepherd of your life. He's the good shepherd for everybody else, but not for you. You're not good enough. You haven't earned it yet. Well, you're wrong because that's not what the Bible teaches. Maybe you're fearful about the enemy who's always there, ready to pounce, and you forget that Jesus is a good shepherd, ready to protect you. And that at the name of Jesus, the enemy has to what? Flee. He goes away. What are you struggling with? What are you trying to grow in right now that this text can help you with? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this word. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your wisdom, your love. Jesus, you are good. You are faithful. And we love you. Move in our hearts now. Move in our lives. Show us, Lord Jesus, exactly what it is that you desire for us to do. In response to John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, you as the good shepherd of our lives. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.